0: Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartledgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. And this is my prayer. This is Paul, and he's saying, "And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So it's a love that has depth of insight. So it's not just you know loving, you know, uh, loving without understanding." It's loving through depth of insight. And I think there's, there's a whole sermon just in that verse alone. What is that depth of insight in which we love? Right. That's When, when you get called to love one another, Jesus says, this is a, my command, a new command I give you, love one another. It's a command to love one another. It's not a, I feel like it, or I don't, or I choose to, or I don't choose to. It's a command, there's no choice. You know, if you're, if you're under a communist dictatorship and they command you to do something, you can just do it. If you don't do it, what happens? Yeah. Yeah, you get dunk. Yeah, you don't live very long, you get thrown in the prison. Right? Commands are important things. And when God commands us to love one another, that's something quite powerful. It means that if you don't feel love in your heart, man, that better change. That better change fast. Because he's commanded us to love. Amen. Who knows what I'm saying is true. Yeah. So we've got to love one another. it says here, more and more, in knowledge and depth of insight. You know, every one of you here, if we all get into heaven, we're all in heaven together. Do you know what? You'll have to put up with each other for eternity. Right? That's depth of insight. (laughs) That's how far-reaching this love is. This is forever, guys. This is forever. We're going to have to put up with each other. and I'm sure once we get to heaven, we'll be easy to put up with another. It's harder on earth because we all have our failings, you know. But that's what it's all about, understanding just how far-reaching this salvation really is, you know. So so start considering this. And I might even do a sermon just to really expose this. But today's sermon, if I dwell any longer here, I'm going to kill it. I'm not going to be able to do it. Because there's quite a few things I want to get through. But let's just, I'm just gonna move on a fairly pacey for a little bit just to get some, some <coughs> of this stuff done. Uh, my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. Right? So you'd be able to discern what is the best, what truly is the best thing? Is that car that you're coveting the most important thing in your life, or is your family? or are those in the church, or is Christ Jesus? What's more important, what is the best? What is the best? And may be pure and blameless. See, he's praying that we become pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, filled with the fruit of righteousness, doing good things that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I use that as a balanced Christian living, because that's what he's praying for. He's praying for balanced Christians, well-rounded Christians that, that fit into their communities well and bring blessings to their communities. But they're also they've got depth of insight, they love one another in a whole, with a holy love, with a righteous love. And that's uh, what Paul was praying for as for balanced Christians. Balance lies in an unbalanced world. Christian men and women have always struggled to live balanced Christian lives in this chaotic world. Who knows, who knows that's true, right? If you've been a Christian for very long, you know it's tough sometimes to be a true Christian in a such a fake world, you know, chaotic world. As Christians living in times which some would say reflect the days Jesus referred to as signs of the end. How do we live balanced Christian lives in spite of these circumstances? When you're living in the, if, if, if we truly are living in the end times, I've got to remember Paul said we, brothers, we in, we're in the end times back when he was there, so you know, 2,000 years on, and, and we're seeing the signs of the time very, very evident all around us. How do we live in this day? How do we consolidate this and not end up going cuckoo? How do we not end up jumping in a car and driving up to the hills and bugging out? 20 years before we should. Or 50 years before we should. Do you know what I mean? And I I ask God about this. How do we do this? How how do we do this? Because it's really important that we know how to live these Christian lives. So first thing you've got to remember is in Luke 19, 12 and 13, when Jesus was using a parable in relation to himself, he said... Therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he's talking about his, his, he was there, he went away and he's going to return. But before he left, he said this, he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds. This is King James, 10 talents, another translation. And he said unto them, occupy until I come. Occupy. So, occupy has lots of meanings, and I just thought I'd pull a, a few meanings out. When you occupy a place, you reside there, you have one's place of business there, you fill or take up space of time, you know, you fill it up, you, you're situated in or at a place, position, in a system or a hierarchy, whatever, you're, you're, you're situated in that. Right? So, he said, occupy till I come. So, make the most of your, your daily life in this world. Make the most of it. And there's reasons he wants us to occupy until we come. Because if we are occupying, we will become very good disciple-makers because we'd be sturdy and strong and people, we could get people, you know, uh, seeing that we're stable in our environment. You know what I mean? We're, we're uh, rocks in an unstable world, all right? So keep that in mind, because Jesus says, occupy until I come. That was his first words. So I believe, this is one approach, I believe we approach approach it this way. Live each day in your home life, your workplace, your studies, and your career as if Jesus won't return for at least 50 years. Live in this world, when doing your daily things as if Jesus won't return in 50 years, be diligent, be the best that you can be, buy your own home if God permits, start that business, apply for that job promotion, study that course, just get into life and live it to the best of your ability. And live as if Jesus won't be coming for 50 years. So you plan things, you know, you do things, you make movements in this world. Right, because if Jesus doesn't come for fifty years, you'd be kicking yourself that you wasted fifty years thinking He's going to come tomorrow, and He doesn't. I remember a guy I went and saw a, a minister from Perth. Um, he was speaking. He did a, a breakfast on Leonardo da Vinci, and I thought it was a brilliant breakfast. I wish i got the CD. Um, and he applied it to the Christian life, of course. And uh, but uh, he said. Back in the 70s, he he did not buy his own home, he rented it and he um, he didn't go for things like start businesses and and all these things that he wanted to do because he just thought, you know, Jesus is going to return any moment, right? And he said 30 years later, this is is now nearly 20 years old, 15 years ago, he realised how he'd lost all that time through that mindset, all right? But this is very important, what I'm about to say. But we should pray, we should devote and witness to the lost as if Jesus could return tomorrow. That's the balance. You've got to be a Christian and live your Christian life as in through your diligence, through, you know, preparing for Jesus' coming as if he could come tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Now, just for anyone, you know, there's, there's some of you here, you know, I know you, you, we, we prepare for worst-case scenarios, right? Now, just remember, just say you're buying your own home and you've got these things happening and worst-case scenario is, is market abuse comes in and something terrible happens. You know what? You just drop it all anyway. No one's going to have anything anyway. So you just drop it all and go. But while you're here, make the most of it. But you do those things not because you're coveting wealth or you're coveting those things. You're becoming stable. You're providing a stable life for your family, for your home, you know, for your home life and all that. You're giving your kids the uh, the desire to do well at school and all those things. And I think that's a healthy thing. I think Christians are called to be diligent. Christians are called to be exemplary in everything. You know, all our Christian kids should be nailing school. They should be going through university acing. They should get into philosophy classes and just mesmerise the teacher with their understanding of of life. And and you know what I mean? They should be making an impact in the workplace. They They should never be the ones in the workplace that are the slackest guys there, always talking about Jesus in the corner, bludging. Right? Because they've lost touch with... With everybody, They should be, you know, the leaders in the workplace. And they should be bringing a godly influence, right, into the workplace. I know Christians that just don't bother working because they just think, well, Jesus is going to return. What am I doing wasting my time working? You know, but that's, is that a good attitude? No, we're meant to, we're meant to be out there working and, and, and productive, living a proper life like that. Oh, let's go to Hebrews 10, 23. So let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us, this is also within this approach, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the bad approaching. You know, in relation to, living as if jesus is going to come tomorrow make sure he finds you in the house of god make sure he finds you among believers do you know um there was a period in vena my marriage uh and our family where we stopped going to church because certain things happened and you know because we've been christians i oh, you've been longer than me 20 or more years 25 years and uh during that period when we didn't go to church, we actually didn't end up fellowshipping with anyone for quite a long time. And you know, when we finally stepped back into church, and it wasn't even a really, really good church, but I was, I was spiritually starving hungry, you know? when I just heard someone just speak a, a verse from the Bible, it's so like, whoa! There was nothing, you know? It's just that it's been so long since I've heard it, so long since I've had that connection. Now, we're supposed to not give up meeting together, but continue to meet together, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Now, if you're thinking Jesus would return tomorrow, and you've got that urgency in your spirit, you know, get together, encourage one another, meet together, have coffees together, discuss things, get into the Word of God, you know, start Bible study groups together and stuff. Get deep into this thing, because there are so many things in here we have are yet to discover there's so many, so many depths of insight in the Word of God that we have not even touched on. You know, I'm sure in the accumulated whole of the body of Christ over the last 2,000 years, I'm sure they've probably uncovered most. Um, but I believe God wants it for you personally. Amen? To know this thing like the back of your hand and have it deep. And that's why I like what Bill's doing to be pressuring us to <laughs> learn the Scriptures. Because who knows, That's important. Like Bill said, he was feeling a little depressed, a bit bit oppressed for a few days, started to do his memory verse, and as he slid it in his mind a few times, it lifted. And he didn't even know why, what was it? Because the Word of God is powerful, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. You know? It judges us. It makes us get repentful. It makes us like get, want to get clean before God, and we need it. We need to hear it every day. If you don't read the Bible every day, read it every day. Get it into your heart. We don't realize, it's not until we get to heaven that God's going to say, Did you know just what this would have done in your life if you just picked it up every morning and every night, and then through the day, and you just floated it in your head, and you played Bible tapes in your car, and you know what I mean? Do you know what this would do, would have done inside you? You would have been shining like light. Whereas you neglected it and you wondered why you always felt so bad all the time. You know, there's something in it beyond our comprehension. And just leave it at that for now so you you can start looking deeper into it. Alright, let's keep moving. As to what I believe we are to preach from this pulpit from this pulpit, I'm just talking from this church, from this pulpit, during these days I came to the following list and this list is not in order of importance. I couldn't figure out an order of importance so I just (coughs) left it as as it came to my mind and I have 20 things that I'm going to zoom through so (laughs) wish me luck. The first thing is we've got to encourage and build up each other's faith. That's what we're here to do. We've got to make sure that you stay in the course, that you stay strong in Christ, that you're pumped up to be Christian, that you're pumped up to serve him, and that's what it's all about. Amen? Yeah. You know, when it comes down to when Jesus returns, you want to be one of those jumping up and down, saying, I knew it, I knew it. You don't want to be one of those guys that you feel suddenly, oh, man, I wish I could think so, you know, little of you all those years. I wish I had the right attitude towards you so that I could be jumping up and down like this guy who was committed with all his heart. Even in the face of persecution and trouble, he did not stop being that passionate to serve you. Yeah? All right, so 1 Thessalonians. Everyone's there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, And it says this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing, as the other scripture um, I quoted before in uh, Hebrews 10 23 to 25 it says encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So that's what we're to do. We've got to accurately preach doctrine. Now this is important. Let's quickly go to 1 Timothy 4 16 Get ready to bounce around the Bible a bit And it says here, watch your life and doctrine closely. I like that. Watch your life and your doctrine. So watch the way you live, how you conduct yourself, and the doctrine that you believe. Now, it's important we believe the right doctrine because the right doctrine will save you. It says this, persevere in them, because if you do, if you persevere in the right doctrine, you will save both yourself and hearers. so if you're persevering in the wrong doctrine, the implication is you could not be saving yourself, and you might not be saving those that listen to you. So I, I want to be very careful, like with a doctrine like the doctrine of salvation, that I preach it correctly. Because if I mishandle that doctrine and falsely lead you to believe you're saved when you're not saved, because you aren't living in repentance, and when I say living in repentance, it means you've turned and walking in the other direction from what the way you were walking when you're in the world. If, if you're not living and walking in that direction of repentance, of, of with your back to the old life, then you aren't living in repentance, and therefore your salvation is in jeopardy. That's why, and the doctrine has been so watered down, and I'm about to talk about it, I won't have to when I get there. That doctrine has been so watered down in the 20th century that people just think a simple older confession will save them. Just yep, I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Great, All right. continue on in your life as normal. Nothing changes, but now they appreciate. But there's no life change. Who knows? There has to be a life change. Now, do you think Peter's life was radically changed when he turned to Jesus? Do you think he was completely sold out and single-eyed, Jesus Christ? If you don't think their lives were changed, then you you have to read the Scriptures. Their lives were radically transformed, and we've got to be radically transformed. So I've got to preach the the correct doctrine. And this is some of the major doctrines of the faith. There's the theology proper, which are the (coughs) attributes of God. Christology, which is the teachings about Jesus. Pneumatology, which is the teachings about the Holy Spirit. There's (laughs) bibliography... Biblical, biblicalology, which is the teachings about the Bible as a whole, like you know, um, Old Testament, New Testament surveys, that sort of thing. Uh, angelology, teachings about angels, uh, both heavenly angels and angels uh, well, that are all around us in like the first and second heaven. Uh, there's teachings about man and how what what our um, what is expected of us as Christians. Uh, Soteriology, which is the teachings about salvation. There's ecclesiology, which is the teachings about the church and what the church is. And there's eschatology, which is teachings about end times. And I'm sure I haven't exhausted this, but that's that's a basic list of the major doctrines of our faith. I've got to teach from those over the course of a year on a regular basis. Uh, We've got to clean up the Lord's bride, we've got to preach holiness. A much neglected teaching again in the 20th century because it calls people to change. It puts expectations on people, and people don't like that feeling of being pressured that they have to brush up and become, you know, a little bit more holy than they are now. You know, they don't like that. So let's go to Hebrews 12:14, and these are just some scriptures, and, and I've got this dozens, but I didn't want to take too long on any one slide, Hebrews 12, uh, 14, and it says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Uh, you know when I read the Bible, I, I read those things and I go, without holiness, no one, sees the, no one will see the Lord. Hmm. Some of the Bible actually says that without holiness numbers, Anyone's translation say anything different? So we can either go, okay, let's just take a literal reading of that, or let's not take a literal reading of that. When I take a literal reading of that, and then I search through the Scriptures to find other Scriptures that say the same thing, guess what I find? Loads and loads and loads of Scriptures that say the same thing. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So there should be motivation. You, who wants to see the Lord here? Alright? If you want to see the Lord, get holy. Or you won't have a, you won't get a viewing. You know? Imagine how difficult it is to get to see the Queen of England. Would that be difficult? All right? You'd have to be a, of a certain standing. Same of Jesus, you've got to be a certain standing to see him. Get holy, that means. Now, Romans 12, 1 2. 1 to 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, and you of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship, or spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. See, don't perform, uh, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. We must be transformed by the renewing of our minds, so we've got to change the way we think, we can't think corrupted thoughts anymore, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. If your mind's not transformed, you can't test and approve what... All right, let's go to the next one. Repentance, Matthew 3, 1-2. 1-2, and in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Let's go to 4.17. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So who was preaching it? John the Baptist and Jesus. Their theme message. You'll also find that the disciples were told to preach the same message as Paul also testifies in Acts that he began to tell people that they must repent and produce fruit. keeping it repentance like the Baptist would say. So what we have is a theme message of the New Testament and all its writings is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near or at hand. Acts 26.20, let's go there. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds that's what he preached that's the theme message of paul so what should we be preaching as a church in the 20th 21st century the theme message repent for the kingdom of heaven is near that should be the theme not tithe and you'll be prosperous not name it, claim it, garbage. Not come to a healing crusade. Jesus didn't have whole healing crusades. Did you know that? Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, and when he finished preaching, because the power of God was coming out from him, people would get healed. But if you just if you hold services just to get people healed, you're not preaching the kingdom, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. These slight, subtle differences that have occurred in the church over the 20th century have corrupted the church, and we've lost the theme of the New Testament. So this is important. Amen? Salvation by grace through faith. Now there's a big one, and I'm not going to go too far into it. The key is, is what is grace? Is grace a free for all? Or do you walk under grace, and when you're under grace, you don't sin? And that's what I believe grace is. You get under grace, and when you're under grace, you do not sin because the Holy Spirit moves you. You, you can tell if you're under grace, but when you sin, the moment you sin, you step out from under grace, and you've got to repent and get back under grace again. Simple as that. It's logical. You know, you think back in the in the times in Egypt and Pharaoh was, you know, causing all that trouble in Egypt and uh, Moses was, was declaring all these judgments and then there was the final judgment which was to um, the destroying angel. Sorry, my mind just got distracted, don't worry. This destroying angel was going to sweep over Egypt and kill all the firstborn in Egypt. Who knows the story, yep. right? Now, what were they told to do? They were told to sprinkle blood on the lentils of the house and then they were to get in the house and it says do not come out from the house because if you do you'll be struck dead by the destroying angel or your firstborn will be struck dead. So as long as they stayed in the house under the blood that was on the lentils of the home they were safe from the destroying angel but if they got out from under that they were in jeopardy just like the Egyptians. So to stay under the grace, to stay under the blood, is what Christians are meant to do. And then, therefore, you also stay holy, you stay walking in righteousness, you live in repentance. So Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. You're saved by grace, and I always teach that through faith. And the evidence of that, and like Paul said in the scripture we just quoted before in Acts, and also John the Baptist, we've got to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So this doctrine has been mistaught in recent times and needs careful deliberation. It's a very important doctrine. You get it wrong. Do you, who, who believes that the Jehovah Witnesses have got the doctrine of salvation correct? No. In your studies of the uh, Jehovah, in the study of Jehovah Witnesses' doctrine, and their doctrine of salvation, I, from my studies, they've got it completely stuffed up. There is no salvation in what they teach. And many other cults are sort of like that. So they're believing it, they're reading their New World Abomination, which is a mistranslation of the scriptures, and they're deceived by a false doctrine, and they believe they've got salvation. But it's so important it needs careful deliberation we've got to really really study it closely we've got to get really close to the scriptures um i've got a couple of sermons you should watch one is called if christians must watch it's a, probably one of the most important uh, sermons i think i've got in my collection also there's another one I, I did called assurance of salvation which also is one that you should watch as well and watch it if you don't quite get it Watch it a few times just to get it into your head because it is the scriptures and it? it's got more scriptures getting stated than most sermons that I preach. The judgment. We should preach on the judgment. Matthew 12, 36 to 37. I've got some sermons on judgment online, you can see as well, Judgment Day 1 and Judgment Day Two. Also a recent one that I did called The Day of Judgment. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So by your words. Now is it by a word... That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. So it's with a word and a belief in your heart that you're saved. You can also unsave yourself by saying, I don't believe Jesus is Lord and I don't believe in my heart. So by your words you'll be acquitted and by your words you'll be condemned. Now I know Christians that have once said that and believed it and then they've unsaid it, cancelling it out. Because it's you judge by your words and what you believe in your heart Now, I'm not going to go to the other scriptures because I want to move through fairly quick, but take a note of them and look them up at home. Uh, Also, we should teach on the fear of God. Let's go to Luke 12.5. This is a little taught um, uh, doctrine in the church today. Yet there are so many blessings that come from having a healthy fear of God. 12.5 12, 5 and it says, Jesus says this, but I will show you whom you should fear. So remember, these, are, these words of gravity, these are Jesus' very words. I will tell you, I will show you who you should fear. Fear Him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear Him. Jesus makes it clear. Now let's quickly go to Proverbs, if you can fling to the Old Testament quickly and get to nine. I want you to read these scriptures in Proverbs because they're very important. I've done a sermon on the fear of God, part one and part two, I think there is, and I go through so many scriptures to do with the fear of God. And they tend to be that all the promises in the Bible, nearly all the wonderful promises made to men in the Bible, have all got a fear of God scripture attached to them. There is a a scripture in the Old Testament where the fear of God is mentioned and the promise comes hand in hand with that. And if we look at this, um, Proverbs 9.10, and we all know this one is a famous one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So it's just fearing God. You're only just beginning the road to wisdom by understanding the fear of God. So when I hear a Christian say, what are you fearing God for? What are you teaching that people should fear God? And I'm thinking, well, this guy is wise. He's not even the beginning level of wisdom. But anyway, Proverbs 14, 2, and it says, he whose walk is upright fears the Lord. If If you fear the Lord, you'll walk uprightly. And he whose ways are devious despises God. And if you go a little bit further down to 26, And it says, he who fears the Lord has a secure fortress. See, if you fear God, your home life will be secure. And for his children, it will be a refuge. That home will be a refuge. And it's due to you fearing God. And the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. If you fear God, it's like a fountain of life inside you, turning a man from the snares of death. By fearing God, you turn away from death. Yeah, that they are all scriptures, and I think of it like this: my dad used to have a pretty bad and severe wrath. If I got on the wrong <coughs> side of him, I'd get a smack. But you know what? I never stopped loving him. I always hugged him and kissed him before I went to bed at night as a kid. But he had a lot of love, and I knew when he when I pushed him to that wrath point, that wasn't my dad wasn't always like that. My dad hated to be like that. He didn't want to be like that. But I made him like that, so I got what my just deserts. But I still and I always knew it was me that was doing it, you know. I caused it, I brought it out of him. So don't get on the wrong side of God. Fear him, do the right thing. And that keeps you from sinning. You know, if you're thinking of doing some sinful activity, think about God, get the fear of God in your heart, and you won't do it. The fear of God will turn a man from sin. There's a scripture that says that. So these are important doctrines, the doctrines of heaven and hell. I'm going to try to move quick, guys. I'm moving pretty slow. <laughs> Matthew 10, I just want to finish it so I don't have to do a part two. Okay. I might not read the scriptures soon, I'll be streamlining. 10.7. <laughs> and it says, Matthew 10.7, as you go preach this message... The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Oh, no, that's it. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I didn't go into many scriptures in relation to that, but heaven is real, amen? We need to preach on heaven and the promise of eternal life. Let's go to Matthew 10, 28, which is not that much further on. And Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So hell is real also. And there are some pretty descriptive descriptions of hell in the Bible. Pretty graphic. You don't want to go to hell. Alright? So fear God and do the right thing. Live for Him and keep yourself encouraged and built up in the faith. Alright, culturally corrupting exposes. Let's go to Ephesians 511. And the reason why we we do look into these things We've got to stay aware of what the devil's doing because we can get pulled into his schemes. 5.11 says, it says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. Expose what Satan is doing. That's why I love Joe Shelton. He exposes the rock industry and the pop industry. He exposes Hollywood for all they are. They're out to corrupt the people of God or even just people generally, and keep people from turning to God. That's what they're really doing. Let's go to the next one. Is Apologetics, reasoned, argue, reasoned arguments for the faith. 1 Peter 3.15. And this is important. We should know some really good apologetics, get our minds ticking the right way. See, I don't believe in God blindly. I believe in God because I've reasoned you know, even from a scientific perspective, and I cannot see how everything that is came about from nothing, by no, for no apparent reason. I believe everything that is, that is in the universe came about by the hand of an almighty creator. It's obvious, you know, because we're so wonderfully designed, clearly designed creatures, not random accidents in a random universe. 1 Peter 3.15, and it says, But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do you know how many times I've had people ask me to give them the reason for the hope that I have? It's a wonderful thing. I've had many opportunities to share and to go down apologetic pathways to reveal truth to them. Whether they accept it is up to them, but you just do your best. Present it as gently as possible. Do this with gentleness and respect. Also, we've got to uncover religion. And, and who remembers the the memory verse from last week? Galatians one eight. Who remembers it? Right. No? But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Very good. Nice. That's awesome. Great stuff, for You do doing well. <laughs> So if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. That's pretty powerful stuff. If there's a gospel out there that's getting preached, you know, this is the boast of the, of the Muslims, is that the Koran has come to trump the gospels of the Bible. But th- that's a new gospel. It's a new gospel. Whoever believes that and teaches that will be eternally condemned, unless they turn to Jesus before they die. Right? Now I've done a series called Uncovering Religion. You can see, uh, get all my podcasts online for it. And I've gone gone through all the major religions, and the cults, and and you know, New Age stuff, and a whole range of things. Really interesting sermons, and it's really good for you to get you know, clued in on just what people believe out there, because you can find common ground, not necessarily common ground, at least find a pathway to lead them from where they're at to where you're at. You know what I mean? Alright, now we should also preach uh, from this pulpit prophecy related to the present day. Let's quickly turn to 2 Peter 2 Peter 3 1 to 2. And I'm just going to start straight away. You get there. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate yourself to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. See, he wants us to recall the words in the past spoken by the holy prophets and commands uh, given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So we are to take very seriously um, the prophecies of the past and see how they relate to the present day. All right, historical surveys of the Old New Testaments, bibli- bibliology, um, we should do a lot of that in church as well. We, we should try to survey things so we can get a picture of of what the Old Testament has for us today and also typologies, which is, there's many typologies in in the Old Testament that speak of like, for example, um, there's many people like Joseph, the story of Joseph is a typology of Jesus Christ. But there's also typologies like the, the Pharaoh in Egypt is like a typology of the Antichrist. Okay? So we get many pictures in the Old Testament. It helps us to understand things. And even the whole thing that happened in Egypt, the whole um, uh, thing that caused the exodus, the, the uh, tribulation that they went through, is a picture of the tribulation coming that will be in the last times. And as Moses and Aaron stood up, there's going to be two witnesses standing up in the last days as well in Revelation 11. So th- these are interesting things. We've got to look at all these things from a historical perspective, eschatology is also an important thing, um, and that's talking teaching is about end times. I'm not going to go into the scriptures, but look them up when you get home if you need more time to write down those scriptures. <coughs> Actually, why you having more time to read one? <laughs> just hold out a little bit longer. Sorry, guys, it's a big sermon. I'm just trying to finish it. Uh, 22, 67 and it says, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. That's the book of Revelation. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show his servants things that must soon take place. So he sent his angel to show us things that must take place. So we've got to be aware of them. We've got to be awake to end time scenarios. And that's why the study of eschatology is a fascinating study. Especially in these times, because we get to see things like, "Wow, that's happening!" You know, um, so it's it's a really powerful uh, doctrine that we must look at. Now, also martyr witnesses. Now, the reason why I put martyr and witness together is because in the well, if I go to the verse Acts 1:8, let's quickly spin over there. Acts 1:8, where it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now that word "witness" there is "martyr" in the Greek, "martus." All right, it's it means the witness means martyr, right? So all the witnesses of the early church were martyrs. They were called that in Greek. Now, at that time when they first were called martyrs, martyr didn't mean someone who laid his life down for the faith. But it didn't take long before that's what it became to mean because they all laid their life down for their faith. So it became synonymous with it. You know, this guy, he's a, he's a martyr of Jesus Christ and he just died and didn't count his faith. And that's what martyr became the meaning of from that time forward. So when you say I'm a witness, you're saying I'm a martyr. But do you understand the full impact of what a martyr is? Someone who's prepared to lay his life down for the faith. I used to challenge congregations, that I've challenged a few that I've preached in. You know, I asked them, are they prepared to lay their life down for the faith? And you know, you just ask that question, you don't get invited back. (laughs) People don't like that, they don't like that question. Well, I've never had to consider that before. I'm going, to consider it. Consider it, because what happens if it happens? You know, so that's why we've got to teach on it. You know, better be prepared for the advent of something like that. Have it already settled. I settled it in my heart 20 years ago. I did it 20 years ago. I read the Fox's Book of Martyrs and settled that in my heart 20 years ago. I'm going, in the advent of being, you know, gun at held my head or whatever, I'm not going to say, Jesus, I don't follow you anymore. I'm going to say, shoot me. You know, no one wants to die, and that's a good thing, because we're going to have eternal life. So, but if you just think of it like this, it's just a transition. Bang, in the head, you're in heaven with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. It's a wonderful transition, but it's, you know, it's, it's scary. All right? But we have to teach on it. Right? And it's confronting. It's very, very confronting. And Jesus says, unless, if you love your life in this world, you will lose it. But if you lose your life in this world for me, you will find it. Unless you take up your cross, you are not worthy of me. If you don't don't have a modern attitude, you're not even worthy of Jesus. These are powerful words. They're, They're salvational words. So, must be taught. But the pulpits are quiet in so many churches on these doctrines quiet as a mouse. They don't speak about it because they're too scared to because they don't breed big mega churches. <laughs> because most people walk out and go, never come back here. You know, they don't breed big churches. But what we've got is remnant. That's what we want. We want the remnant. We want the real Christians. You know, those hardcore want the truth, need to hear it. Awake to everything. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of those scriptures. i bet you're glad about that. Now, conspiracies, facts and theories, we've got, to look, we've got to look at them as well. We can't be ignorant of them. Psalm 64.2. You know, I looked up the word conspiracy in the Old Testament. I was blown away by how many times God uses the word conspiracy throughout the Old Testament. But these are just a few things. Psalm 64.2. Quickly jump there if you can, or if you don't want to jump there, I'll just read it and make it all along lot way 64 2 and it says hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked hide me protect me that should be our prayer we should be praying hide us from the conspiracy of the wicked in this world because there is a conspiracy jeremiah 11 9 to 10 talks about a conspiracy that was going on in israel at the time and 2 corinthians 4 3 to 4 we're just going to jump there so 2 corinthians 4 3 to 4, and it says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Listen to this. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The God of this age, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of people out there in the world. The minds of a lot of people in Adelaide are blinded by the God of this world. That's a conspiracy. That is the conspiracy. Satan is the conspiracy. And, and I remember Stan Deo put up a, put up a, a concept with the great conspiracy called the Cosmic Conspiracy. And it really comes down to this all the conspiracies in the world come down to one thing it's the battle for souls. That's it, the battle for souls. And it's between God and Satan. I thought, yeah makes perfect sense. All conspiracies lead to that one thing. Who's going to get saved in the end? Because when we're standing at judgment day, everything else doesn't matter comes out of one thing. Who's saved and who's not? Hmm. Nicely defined, anyway. The gifts of the spirit. We should look into the gifts of the spirit. It's a very important thing. Um, I won't read the scriptures. Write them down if you can, if you ask me later. You'll see them online soon. And there's motivation to live and succeed in life. I should be teaching about that. I should be making sure that you guys have plenty of motivation. There's some really good scriptures in relation to that, which I don't have time to preach right <laughs> now. Um, should have made it in two parts, not huh? And prayer. Now, I said order of importance now. <laughs> I don't know why it ended up at 19. It should have been like, up there at number one or two, you know, if it's in order of importance. But probably number one. Prayer is the key. Amen. Um, we've got to pray all the time. We've got to live lives of prayer. We've got to be in communication with our Lord and Savior constantly, right? You get out of, out of, if you lose your connection with Jesus through the day, you'll be guaranteed that you're going to go away the way Sometimes that happens. Elizabeth Elliott said this, prayer lady lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between His will and its accomplishment on earth. I like that. Amazing things happen, and we are given the privilege of being the channels of the Holy Spirit's prayer. When you pray, the Holy Spirit prays through you. Now, you want the Holy Spirit to pray through you as much as possible. You want the Holy Spirit to be active in you as much as possible, and you do that by prayer. Stay in prayer, the Holy Spirit stays active in you. Lose your prayer, the Holy Spirit isn't active in you as he should be. You can have your, But at the same time, you can have him mindful with, with prayer or mindful with the things of God. You know, and prayer is an interesting thing. Um, I, I have found that it's not just gabbling away to God. It's listening to God, but it's also God leads you through the Scriptures. And as your mind gets filled with the Scriptures, as you're looking over and you're dwelling on them, God gives you thoughts. And in a sense, that's like you're in communication with him because he's speaking to you through his Word. So prayer is an interesting thing, and something that I must preach on a lot. Uh, And devotional Um, life—we have to live devoted Christians' lives, Christian lives in every way, reading the Bible, witnessing, being active um, in our community, and and so on. We we really got to be devoted to the Christian life. Amen. All right. Thanks for putting up with the longest sermon. Um, Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this uh, honor today to go preach to these wonderful people. Thank you for so much content and so much that I I couldn't preach on at all properly. But Lord, I thank you that you've helped us to see or get a picture of a well-rounded and balanced Christian life as well as Christian teaching in this uh, church. And I just pray that you enable us as a church to preach on all of these uh, important elements of the faith and uh, even for us to consider when many of the guys here are preparing their five-minute message or the communion, that they look at some of these important doctrines and and important elements and and maybe draw from them for their messages. And so that we can, in the course of a, a year, we can cover the full counsel of God in this church. Because, Lord, it's a, it's a big, big responsibility to, to encourage and build a church uh, by your spirit. So I pray that you do this work. You said, unless the Lord builds the house, his people labour in vain. And Lord, I don't want to be labouring in vain. So I pray for your help to do this, to deliver this to these people uh, year in, year out. And I pray that everyone here that speaks from this pulpit, will also be anointed to deliver elements of the full counsel of God every time they speak. So I pray this is a wonderful name. I just pray right now that you bless our fellowship time, you bless the time that we spend together, that you uh, just move in and among us so that we can um, be united as a people. And uh, I pray that your, the conversations that we engage in are holy and honourable before you. And just bless everyone here this week and may have a wonderful week in you. Uh, and fill them with your spirit, guide them and direct them and cover them in your precious blood and keep them strong on the path of life. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartlidge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series. Uncovering Religion, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, Apologetics 101, Critical Doctrine and End Times. Feel free to check them out.